Hi there. Want to get a text message whenever we publish a new episode of the Mindset Digital Podcast? It's a super easy one-click shortcut to the show. To sign up, just text MSDPOD, that's M-S-D-P-O-D, all one word, to 555-888 and we'll get you started. Good times. Welcome to the Mindset Digital Podcast with insight and analysis from the intersection of social media, learning, and technology. Today, two former English majors attempt to comprehend Bitcoin and its underlying tech, the blockchain. Plus, a new intern takes on a challenge to find something on the internet guaranteed to make you laugh. Speaking of laughable, here's our creative director, Pete Brown. Thanks, Priaval. Well, summer is passing quickly here at Mindset Digital, and if you've been paying attention to the news at all, you might have been hearing quite a bit about Bitcoin lately. Bitcoin was the first virtual currency. It dates back to about 2008, and it's built on a technology called blockchain, which is anticipated to be hugely disruptive to many, many industries, not the least of which are financial services, insurance, any industry that has trust at its core. We've been working on a project here at Mindset Digital about blockchain and virtual currencies. And so I thought I would bring in Michael Harwick, our researcher, who you might remember from episode 24, uh, and have him sort of walk me through soup to nuts what Bitcoin is, what a cryptocurrency is, and what blockchain, the technology underlying it, does. And so by the end of our talk, you should have a pretty good sense of uh, what Bitcoin is and what a blockchain is. And... And you might start speculating about how this technology can disrupt some industries that have uh, been ripe for disruption for many years. I know we talk about the volatility of cryptocurrency in general and Bitcoin in particular in this episode. As if to punctuate the point, I think we recorded this two weeks ago. At the time we recorded, one Bitcoin was worth about 2000 US dollars. This morning, as I'm recording the intro, one Bitcoin is worth about 4500 US dollars. So in the past two weeks, it's more than doubled its value. It does this afternoon appear to be trending downward a little bit, so we'll see where it settles. I really find cryptocurrencies to be a fascinating subject, one that's hard to wrap your mind around, uh, but I think this conversation with Michael Harwick really helped. Also today, we've got a new intern taking up the challenge of finding something on the internet guaranteed to make you laugh. Uh, this is intern Kelly, the blogging intern, who's been writing quite a bit on our blog at MindsetDigital.com. Uh, check out her stuff on Tuesdays. She's doing a lot of Tips Tuesday posts for us. So it's really a great show today, a fascinating topic, an extremely well-informed guest, and of course, something on the internet guaranteed to make you laugh. Let's get to it. Good times. Michael Harwick back with us today. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Glad you're in the office today. Now, Michael, we've had you on the podcast before, so we, we've already learned that you're working on your PhD in English at Ohio State. Exactly. That you study the history of emotions. Yes. So you use Victorian literature and you're trying to decide, do we feel shame now like we would have back then? Yes, that's right. exactly right. Shame. 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 Fascinating stuff. 
So in your free time, I assume you're just like reading Northanger Abbey. <laughs> over and over yeah. again. Okay. Where did you do your undergrad? Hamilton College, At which Hamilton. is uh, in upstate New York. Okay. And you majored in? Comparative literature. Comparative literature. Nice. So we do have that in common. I was an English major in the 90s and got my master's in English at Kansas State in 1995. Okay. As I was sharing with you, it was right <laughs> when, you know, the canon was starting to, to flip from being entirely all dead white guys into a little bit more diverse reading. So that was neat, neat time to be in, in the academy. Yeah, I can imagine. Now you do research for us and I am the beneficiary of that research. I take it and often turn it into scripts for various projects. And we've done a lot of things here. Yeah. But most recently, we've been working on a series about blockchain technology. Right. And this has been, I would say, like, my head is the swimming swimmingest in this topic, <laughs> you know. And so I thought it'd be neat that, you know, we're setting forth the challenge of two English majors trying to understand cryptocurrency. Yeah, okay. tr trying, I think, Very is good. right. So the kickoff question is, and, and I think most of our listeners have heard of Bitcoin. Okay. But tell me what Bitcoin is. Yeah, right. That's the million-dollar question, yeah. at least for, for most people. The easiest way to probably describe it is that it's a peer-to-peer electronic cash system okay. um, with no central authority. Okay. So I like then we have to like break that down, right? And say okay. like what does but, this mean? But but fundamentally it's a currency I can use online to yeah. pay to pay you and receive money from you. Yeah. Right. There are even ways that you can use it in the real world, but but okay. mostly you use it online. Okay. And so its value is based on what? <laughs> a number of complicated factors. The first of them is st strictly hype. Part of the reason why uh, people who are listening may have seen a lot of headlines lately about a Bitcoin bubble is that um, it's very much speculation okay. that seems to be driving Bitcoin's value. There is, at least in theory, another thing that helps lend value to Bitcoin, which is the fact that it's like a gold standard based on a fixed amount of the stuff that right. can be out in circulation at any right. time. Right. Okay. So uh, when it was started, and it was started by an anonymous guy, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, maybe guy, right? right. Maybe several people, right. maybe who knows? Male, yeah. female, shouldn't say, Satoshi right? Nakamoto is That's all right. that we have to go on. Right. And so there's a preset amount, just like in the real world, there's only so much gold. Yeah. And uh, that Bitcoin is released by a process called mining. Exactly. And this is sort of, I mean, mining is the, I would say, the main innovation, although blockchain is the other main innovation, right. which we'll get to. Um, but mining is uh, sort of the way that the network of people who are responsible for helping make sure that everything uh, transaction-wise related to Bitcoin works, mining is the way that they participate. Sure. So at least in the early days, there was nothing you could do but mine. Right. You would connect your computer to the to the network. You would uh, go to town solving a cryptographic yeah, so, uh, so mining is really dedicating your computer to solving some equations. Exactly. And when they're solved successfully, it releases some Bitcoin. Yeah. And bit by bit, chunk by chunk, part of that original 21 billion Bitcoin right. starts entering circulation. I gotcha. And so early on, you could earn quite a few Bitcoins. I looked into it maybe three years ago and everyone's like, mining is so over. <laughs> And even now, so they have specialized mining rigs, which are kind of built for this purpose. But you could just dedicate, you can run the program on your computer and sort of join a collective. Yeah, this is like, and like joining a collective is one of those places where you can already see that the, the speculation tendencies start to enter into sure. it. There, so as you mentioned, right, yeah. like there's specialized hardware now that most professional miners wind up having to invest yeah. in in order to turn any kind of profit. Sure. 
But if you decide that you want to hitch your wagon to a kind of collective cart in the cloud, you can do that. But it's a place where scam artists Mm -hmm. kind of notoriously congregate. So for anybody listening, if you feel like diving into the world of Bitcoin, like do your homework and make sure that you're uh, you're connecting to a group of people that you kind of can trust. Yeah. And I I had just read a blog post. Someone, you know, joined one of these and ran his computer for a week solid. The amount of Bitcoin he earned was about $3 worth. Yeah. Right? So you have to compare <laughs> that right. to the cost of the electricity for running the computer. But at the same time, as Bitcoin's value kind of goes up and down based on the hype factor, it could turn into more. Yeah, for right? sure. So where has Bitcoin's value been? Where is it now? How, I know it's been pretty volatile. Yeah, it's really, it's. I mean, it's only trended upward despite volatility. Okay. And you have to remember that when it was originally launched in 2009, really, it had no value because right. nobody knew what to do with it. Right. It was essentially mining for a material that nobody knew what its application was. I think lately um, it hit its peak in June and topped $3,000 for one Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Granted, there are people who have been involved in this for years who have no more than like five Bitcoin total because you're working in these tiny incremental amounts. Today, it's at about 2550. It seems to have been hovering there for the past couple of weeks or so. So it's it's stabilizing. But I mean, there have been spikes. The first major spike, I think, was back in 2012. It topped 1000 and then instantly dropped back to to 500 because people freaked out about it. And I think if I'm not mistaken, even while we were doing this research, there was a precipitous decline that happened. Yeah, there was. I mean, precipitous, right? Um, From 3,000 to 2,000 and now is bouncing back up. So for any commodity that feels within the bounds of the possible, but for a currency, that's really unusual, right? Okay. And so now it's in the world. People can use it to buy stuff. What kind of stuff can they buy? Yeah, right. I actually, I put together a short list of like places where you can spend this. There are a bunch of companies that like now facilitate or broker Bitcoin exchanges and some major actual like real world companies have partnered with them. So Coinbase, which is one of them, has partnered with Expedia, um, Overstock, Dish Network, yeah. you can pay for your satellite TV exclusively in Bitcoin, and eGifter, which is an interesting choice since basically it's like going into the supermarket and buying a gift card for something, right? right? You can actually spend money on Amazon in quotes yeah. without actually doing it through Amazon. And are are these companies, do you think they're collecting the Bitcoin or is it getting turned into real currency before they get it? So it depends on what kind of a partnership they've struck up. Yeah. I know that for Shopify, which I think is partnered with BitPay, there, they wind up converting it into dollars. Sure. But Overstock and Expedia, I think, are just interested in collecting the Bitcoin yeah. as Bitcoin. Yeah, it would be an interesting asset for them to hold on to. Okay, so let's talk about now how Bitcoin is decentralized. Sure. <laughs> and so I'll set up like currently, right? If I buy something on eBay, uh, I go to PayPal. PayPal's connected to my bank account. My bank account says, yes, he has the money. So then PayPal says to the person I bought it, yes, he has the money. It goes to their bank account, right? There's all these intermediaries. Yeah, and it takes so much time. Right. <laughs> and so with Bitcoin, if I bought a Justin Bieber throw pillow from you on eBay, I could just send you Bitcoin directly. Yeah, basically. The idea with Bitcoin, the way that it was constructed, was to cut out as many middlemen as possible. Okay. So when I say peer-to-peer, the only model at the time or the most successful model back before 2008, when all of this got started, was BitTorrent, mm-hmm. where people could share files right. directly. Not necessarily the most above-board thing sure. to do legally, which sure. is why Bitcoin is its own token, redeemable rather than dealing in somebody else's intellectual property. Right. Okay. So now let's say I've bought the Justin Bieber throw pillow from yeah. you. Where's that record of that transaction? Yeah, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> so this is like big, Bitcoin's big innovation. Okay. They decided that, so just as all of those miners who are sort of extracting Bitcoin from this right. from this mother load, they can be used to do something else too, which is to verify transactions. Okay. So that by cutting out the middlemen, you have to still have some way of saying, okay, this person hasn't spent the same Bitcoin twice right. or Bitcoin that's supposed to be paid for this pillow is actually right. getting to the, its intended recipient. So what the miners can also do is earn a commission by doing some validation work. Right. And what they do is they look at Bitcoin's blockchain. Okay. And what the blockchain is, is basically just uh, the easiest conceptual way to think of it is like a big Excel spreadsheet. Okay. Right? It is a list. Yep. Um, it's a ledger that just consists of all of the transactions that have ever been performed With using Bitcoin. Bitcoin. That's right. And so I'm represented by a number on yes. there. Is that right? And you're a number. Yeah. And once our transaction's validated, it's added to the blockchain. It says Pete spent, I'm going to say of Justin Bieber throw pillows worth 10 Bitcoin. Exactly. So about $30,000. Right. <laughs> This is super, okay. super, and now, he slept with that. Pillow, and now right? Michael's number has, has that Bitcoin and everybody has a copy of this. Is that right? Yeah. Everybody can see that. And more importantly, no one will know that it's Pete. Right. Right. It's a number that stands in for you, but short of your divulging that information, right. that secret code to right. somebody else, they'll right. have no idea of tracing that. Okay. So, and, and the idea is instead of one place holding the record of the transaction, it's distributed. It's decentralized. Exactly. Okay. So now what are some of the problems that have cropped up with Bitcoin's blockchain? <laughs> right. So because it's decentralized, right, there are a couple of problems inherently that Bitcoin ha and their blockchain have gone a long way toward trying to resolve. Sure. So one of the inherent problems is how do you keep a record that shows exactly when transactions happen? Because right you know, let's make this a little more complicated. You're paying me for a pillow at the same time that I'm trying to pay somebody else for right. something. Right. How do we know exactly how much money we have in our right. respective Bitcoin wallets at any time? Right. So by using this distributed network and getting people to do the work of checking yeah. exactly when these right. operations are happening and compiling them into blocks, you set up a competition basically for the truth. Right. So from the get-go, Bitcoin's been pretty good about establishing a system that doesn't allow for mishandled information, right. timestamps that are inappropriate, right, right. Uh, that kind of duplication. So I can't, this is where people say the blockchain is, is I don't want to say hacker-proof, yeah, but, but like hacker relatively right? hacker-proof. Like I could change my copy of the ledger but then when these people come to validate the transaction they'll be like he doesn't have 10 bitcoin yeah and pointedly the reason why the blockchain is called the blockchain is because the way that the chain gets its architecture yeah. is that with each new block the key that that block is linked to is right. used to verify everything that's ever happened right so it's it's historical, yeah. which is a kind of a really interesting way to approach right. uh, coding all this complicated information. That said, there are still problems, right? right? And it's not entirely hack-proof. One of the things that was supposed to be avoided by using Bitcoin was centralization, right? right? You don't have to go through a bank. Right. Awesome. There are still ways that you can centralize Bitcoin and ways that people are, mm -hmm. and it mostly comes down to hardware. Since you have to outlay, at this point, an enormous amount of money just for the sake of getting like one computer that's right. specially outfitted to mine Bitcoin right. or perform these operations, there are people with a lot of currency right. who are able to buy a lot of these machines. Sure. And while this doesn't necessarily sound like a problem, it sounds perfectly Right. You know, capitalistic, yeah, right? Yeah. Of course, we right. can do this. The one problem in, in inherent to the blockchain is something that's 
become known as the 51% attack. Yeah. Which is basically like this whole thing works if you can believe that there's no collusion right. among different people who are doing verification. But if right. you control a simple majority of the blockchain, yeah. you can use it to do whatever you want. Sure. So the more centralization that happens on the hardware side, yeah. the more likely it is that this thing could people actually get corrupted. starting to march towards having more bad guys than good guys, basically. Yeah. Um, so that's like one major problem, okay. I think, inherent, inherent to the blockchain. Another major problem, at least for me, just because I'm like, I'm a grad student, so yeah. this is on my mind, is like environmental impact. Okay. The because amount of the energy used Because of the energy consumption, yeah. right? Uh, you plug these things in, and I think collectively the world of Bitcoin, um, one article that I saw said that by 2020, it would actually be using more electricity than the entire country of Denmark. Wow. Um, which, when you think about it, is kind of insane to power an economy yeah, sure. that most they have people those, are. Those early nights in Denmark, yeah, they burn right. a lot of lights. <laughs> but to be spending that much money on something that, you know, most Something's corporations. Foul in the state of Denmark. <laughs> Most corporations like aren't willing to take a chance on this yeah. yet, so it, it yeah. seems like a strange, uh, a strange thing. Well, and the blockchain now is big, if I'm not mistaken. It's like a hundred gigabytes. Yeah, it's huge. And it takes a while now. This is one. Of, is, is it just because it grew so fast, or did they always know it was? If I'm not mistaken. It can really only process maybe two or three transactions a second. Yeah, and that's like the third major problem, yeah. particularly when so right things that blockchain or that Bitcoin touts itself as doing well. Right. It's Collusion proof, we'll know not exactly. It's decentralized, we'll know not exactly. It's yeah. fast, we'll know not exactly. Yeah. It sort of hit peak efficiency a couple of years ago when right. there were just enough coins in, in circulation and just enough miners who were willing to do the job yeah. that you know you could you could handle a, an exchange within ten seconds, yeah. uh, and yeah. that would work. Right. But now because all of the equations, all the cryptographic equations that you have to solve just to mine take so long. All of the equations that you have to solve to verify a block take so long. Yeah. And everybody is a little bit cagey about right. like wanting to make sure that they're not committing false information to right. the blockchain. Right. It winds up delaying processing time pretty yeah. significantly. Yeah. So people are waiting like 10 minutes just yeah. for a simple payment to, to yeah. clear. So not surprisingly, there's been a, a lot of people coming out trying to sort of come out with with the improved, new and improved yeah. blockchain. What do we right? do now? That's right. And for example, there's one, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a podcast from, I think it was uh, Radio Lab about the launch of Zcash. Yeah. Right. And Zcash, which it was fascinating to listen to the steps they took t so that they would have a currency people could believe in, you know, but it was like trying, I guess it touted itself as a more private version of Bitcoin. Yeah. Let's talk about Ethereum. Sure. Because that one gets... Yeah, I think Ethereum is sort of... For the for people who feel like they want to like dip a toe in, Ethereum may be a good place to actually start because right. it's taken off. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that it hasn't. It's way easier and less expensive to buy some Ether and you can still actually yeah. like participate yeah. in a mining so operation pretty so well. So their currency, in a very Orwellian sense, is called Ether. Ether. <laughs> right. Everywhere and nowhere <laughs> at like the same time. I couldn't imagine <laughs> telling them... Well, I spent $500 on Ether this week. Um, and Ethereum is the name of the, the blockchain, or is it the... Uh, Ethereum is technically the name of the, co the company. Okay. The, um, they call their blockchain the Ethereum blockchain. Okay. So you can say uh, in their parlance, what do you feel like building on Ethereum? Sure. And they say that quite specifically because the point of Ethereum is to build things. Mm -hmm. Whereas Bitcoin right, and Bitcoin's blockchain are pretty much exclusively a ledger designed to keep track of certain financial That's transactions right. just in this currency, right. Ethereum markets itself as, well, hey, if you can, you know, distribute trust and transfer money, right. why can't you distribute trust and transfer anything? Right. 
So this is where this idea of smart contracts comes in. Right? Exactly. And so if uh, I want to write a contract that is based on a blockchain, it is monitoring for the conditions that I've put in that contract, right? So if I, I use this example because this is the one that helped me understand it, the flight insurance yeah, example, yeah. right? This is sort of the breakout, uh, what they call DAP, right? A distributed mm-hmm. app. And the, the, the use case, I think, is, is pretty clear, right? Uh, do you want to describe it? No, 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 go ahead. Okay, so the, the DAP in this case, right, is uh, let's say you are in that horrible, annoying situation where you are in the middle of your flight, yep. right? Or you're about to take off. And you get to the airport and you realize that your flight has been canceled, right? right? And you receive that immediate notification. The next thing that then has to happen for you, right. usually, is you go and wait in line mm-hmm. forever right. and maybe talk to a human or right. maybe talk to a bot and try to get your money back and try right. to get rescheduled. Right. The DAP that was built on the Ethereum network, was a, uh, on the Ethereum blockchain, was a smart contract that was designed to trigger an automatic payout to right. you. Right. Um, so that it basically is an if-then condition, right? right? If this flight is canceled, then you get your money back. Yeah. And it happens immediately and seamlessly with the integration to this flight tracker. That's right. And then you don't have to file a claim. You don't. Every time that we buy like electronics and they always want to sell me the, the protection, Yeah. I've never used it because by the time I need it, I don't know where the papers are. Right. You You've know lost I mean? everything. Right. And, and so people are looking at a future where those sorts of conditions can be monitored automatically and that you get your money automatically. Or or money is taken from you automatically yeah. based on the conditions of a contract. I mean, it, it, even just thinking, right? Um, if s- smart contracts still sound sort of abstract and esoteric. Think of the vast network of smart devices that we have in our homes right Right. now, or at least many people do. Any of the sensors on those things could, in theory, be linked to a smart contract, Mm -hmm. that if some sort of situation arises where that object needs to take over or deliver a certain kind of information to a third party, they can do that. So people are using it. Ethereum. Yeah, they are. People are people are using it pretty robustly. Its major innovation that it, uh, its creator came up with was to basically give it its own programming language. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that interesting? Yeah. Bitcoin's programming language is there, but yeah. it's it's kind of patchworked together. You right. can't do all that much with it sure. except transfer the tokens, mm-hmm. right? By having something that's train complete, you can really build almost anything that you could build with Python right. and base it on Ethereum. Right. So how is Ethereum actually monetizing all yeah. of this. Yeah. Well, in order to like play with its right. its toy box, you actually have to spend money in Ether. Sure. So it gets programmers essentially to convert currency into Ether mm-hmm. or buy Ether or mine Ether. And once they have a certain amount available to them, it can process certain kinds of data transactions. Okay. So if I'm creating a, a smart contract with them, I have to buy Ether so that this can live on their blockchain. Exactly. Okay. Or I want to hire a programmer, I could pay him an Ether and he can pay whatever the toll is for for being on that. Yeah, and thinking of it as a toll system, I think is exactly the right way to go about it, right? It winds up being really bizarre because you aren't paying a flat rate. You're paying like micro increments Mm -hmm. for different kinds of processing. Right. But but yeah, you either can wind up having an Ether wallet that will automatically convert things back and forth between fiat currency and and the crypto token, or um, you can just pay everybody directly in Ether. Okay. Let's talk about when blockchain gets combined with artificial intelligence, right? <laughs> and I know that we've looked yeah. at a lot of insurance cases, right? But even uh, talking when we were talking through Plex AI today on how my smart car can be constantly feeding information to an insurer and it is using machine learning to constantly adjust my rates yeah. and then a smart contract is taking the right amount of money from me at that time. Yeah, this is basically like the way that people have described uh, smart contracts is as the breakout 
app yeah. for blockchain technology. It's right. the thing that's going to be able to make it talk with other kinds of projects that's right. sort of at the cutting edge of tech right now. And artificial intelligence and machine learning seems like a really interesting place for smart contracts to go. The limitation to smart contracts, at least as they stand right now, is that they're based almost entirely on if-then logic. Mm -hmm. So when you think about them, they're not all that complicated. And there's right. been considerable debate as to whether or not they're actually going to be able to replace a right. major group of third-party people, mm -hmm. right? Middlemen, right. lawyers. Yes. Um, the lawyerless future. The I've lawyerless future. <laughs> so when you get into situations where you're considering, okay, how maybe we can make smart contracts even smarter is by pairing them with um, projects in AI and machine learning that actually deal with natural language processing. Mm -hmm. So that rather than being restricted to the syntax of programming right. uh, as we have it right now, we might be able to get different kinds of input that allow for slightly mushier forms of logic. Right. What are some applications that I should have asked about that I haven't or things that you think are just really weird or unusual <laughs> in this world? At, at least based on, based on Bitcoin and blockchain. Yeah. I think it's been interesting to see where other people, it's been interesting to see where other people are now that sort of Bitcoin and block and and Ethereum are coexisting, mm -hmm. right? So Bitcoin has kind of this everybody knows it factor, right? right? Like you've heard of it, right, even right. if you don't know anything, right? Even yeah. if you know less than I do. Mm -hmm. Ethereum is still weird, right? Yes. People who are in the know know about it. Right. So there's been a lot of interest in trying to figure out, okay, how do we do the things that sound really cool yeah. on Ethereum yeah. on Bitcoin? Yeah. Um, is it now, I mean, Ethereum, if I'm not mistaken, was, it was written by like one 23-year-old Russian guy. Oh, yeah. Is that right? I mean, sort of, right? There's this huge hagiography um, okay. about, <laughs> about almost almost everything okay. uh, about Ethereum. Um, but yeah, the Vitalik Buterin is the yeah. is the sort of wunderkind responsible for it. But yeah. he wound up partnering with a lot of people in order you. to get this thing off the ground. Yeah. And you know, he keeps he specifically keeps doing some really innovative stuff right. to sort of emphasize how revolutionary Ethereum could be. Right. Meanwhile, there's this whole other ecosystem of people who are like, no, no, we already have Bitcoin. Why let's, don't we make, it, make it better? Yeah. So you have a bunch of projects now that are trying to figure out how they can anchor smart apps mm -hmm. written in a more robust language to Bitcoin's right. blockchain right. and capitalize on its on its kind of cachet. And then do you think we will get to a point where corporations, say a large insurance company, would have their own sort of private blockchain for their members? Uh, it's already happening. <laughs> okay. So the I guess sort of the last major player here is a thing that's really difficult to describe because it isn't quite a blockchain. It's more like a consortium. Mm -hmm. Like it's a group of companies that are interested in the same kind of thing and in developing blockchain tech. And right. they call it Hyperledger. Oh, yeah, okay. So on the one hand, you have like your regular centralized network where mm -hmm. like one person holds all the cards and you sort of pay to have access to their information. On the other hand, you have a totally public decentralized network totally peer-to-peer. Right. -peer. Hyperledger is advocating for these projects that are kind of in the middle, mm -hmm. right? IBM has a couple of different blockchains that they've right. built under Hyperledger's Aegis. Right. And they're basically, the easiest way to refer to these projects are, are permissioned blockchains. Right. So they don't trust everybody to join them, but they'll trust a lot of people yeah. as long as you meet some sort of minimum requirement. Right, right. And it's these blockchains that corporate entities are most interested, I think, in partnering with. It's not quite the Wild West of like anybody can participate, right. but you not only get access to a wide network of, of distributed users, you also get access to like all of IBM's resources. So right. like Watson is ultimately the artificial intelligence underwriting a couple of these yeah. things. Yeah. So 
yeah, there are uh, a few really interesting projects dealing with tracing stuff out on supply chains, mm. even experiments in putting together yes. like collectively yeah. designed constitutions. Yeah. I, uh-huh. So I, I, some of the, the startups you forwarded me, one was tracking the provenance of wine. Yeah. And diamonds was another one, right? Yeah. Uh, there are things that you like want to trust that you're actually getting the thing that right. you have been sold. Right. But also things that, for political reasons, have attracted attention in the past about, you know, what their provenance actually is. Yeah. I, people don't necessarily want a blood diamond anymore. Yeah, right. So if you were to, to take for all of your work this summer, coming <laughs> into the office with us, payment in Bitcoin or Ether, how, <laughs> how would you like it? Or, or another cryptocurrency. I mean, there's lots of cryptocurrencies. Oh, my God. Oh, there's so right? many now. Yeah. Like when I look into it, and like Zcash is one, but I was like, there's 30. <laughs> yeah, there's there's Ripple is one of the other ones that, mm-hmm. that made a big splash over the past couple of years. If I were, if I like knew how to code, right, <laughs> right I would totally take it in Ether, sure. hands down. Yeah. But insofar as like, I really want that Amazon gift gift card, it yeah. would probably make more sense for me to get it in Bitcoin. in Bitcoin. And to be sure, if anybody wants to experiment with this, and I keep saying I'm going to do this, I haven't done it, but like I could go to Coinbase or Kraken or one of these services and just buy $100 worth of Bitcoin. Totally. And have it and I could exchange it and see how The it one thing that I will say about that is that you also should have a really secure place to put it. Right. Okay. What do you mean? Like on my Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. On your Pogo. Yeah. No. Uh, Pono. No. The so Bitcoins. Right. Bitcoin. Right. Uh, any currency needs to be stored in some kind of program. Right. I say program, but I'll get to the other thing. Okay. I'm thinking of Tron right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, well, this it's basically like a digital wallet. They right. call themselves wallets. Mm-hmm. Right. Coinbase has one, but there are a number of other popular ones out there. And basically, for any transaction that you're going to perform using this digital currency, you first wind up having to prove your identity to your wallet, mm-hmm. right? You authenticate that it's you who's going yeah. to be spending this money. Yeah. You get some information from the person on the other end, right. and you kind of meet in the middle and exchange this currency. Yeah. A lot of people have been using totally software-based programs right. for this. But since cryptocurrency appeals to people who tend to be a little paranoid about who can see their money at any time. Some of the safest solutions actually are hardware dependent, like specialized USBs, Mm -hmm. um, dongles that go into your computer that are things that you can carry around with you. They're not hackable. They never live in the cloud. They're always with you at any time. It's basically the equivalent of like your crazy uncle putting a ton of money in his mattress, but then he gets to strap that mattress to his back and carry it around with him everywhere. That's what's happening with these hardware wallets. Yeah. And then one thing that I just thought of that I thought was interesting was let's say a mistake makes its way onto the blockchain. Yeah. It cannot be undone. Yeah. And this has caused a bunch of problems. If I accidentally send you 30 bitcoins for the Justin Bieber throw pillow. Yeah. You have no obligation to return it to me. And I, I can't call my bank and cancel the transaction. Nope, because you have no middleman, right? You're, yeah. you're really relying on your peers to conduct themselves appropriately. Yeah. There's a really low chance of that particular kind of thing happening just yeah. because it'll detect an inconsistency, right, in the yeah. rule that you stipulated to begin with, yeah. even if you tried to, like, give me a tip, right? Right. right. But there are, I mean, Ethereum had a major problem with this because mm-hmm. these things are not hacker-proof, right? right. Um, there was one program, and I won't go into a ton of detail, on Ethereum, uh, something that somebody built on the blockchain, I think, back in 2016, that unfortunately had a really easy vulnerability to exploit. Yeah. And this was a project that raised, I think, all told, about $150 million. Okay. Like, a lot of people were backing this. It was supposed to be um, a distributed charity network, mm-hmm. right? And one hacker found this vulnerability 
and exploited it by mm -hmm. creating like a simple recursion loop, like mm -hmm. really easily. But basically, everybody on Ethereum got to sit and watch as this money got siphoned away in oh, real time to the yeah. tune of 50 million, like a yeah. third of the assets were lost. Yeah. And Ethereum, which is supposed to be like radically democratic and yeah. no centralization, right? right. Uh, these are the ideals of cryptocurrency. Right. Basically had to take a pretty authoritarian stance on yeah. what to do. Yeah. And because all things that are committed to the blockchain are committed permanently, yeah. Yeah. they basically had to unilaterally decide to do a time warp. Yeah. They gave everybody their money back, yeah. but they had to create like an alternate an alternative reality, basically, yeah. where but this it, thing didn't happen. When they say they forked the blockchain. Yeah. Yeah, they call it a hard fork. Yeah. Um, they had the option to do a soft fork, which is like everybody kind of agrees on yeah. democratically on what their participation yeah. is. And they said, yeah, we don't have time for that. It's like the DC alternate universe. It totally is. Yeah. And there are a bunch of people who are now working almost exclusively on Ethereum Classic. Yeah. Like they stayed in the old timeline yeah. and are building things there that are totally separate from where yeah. Ethereum is now. Yeah. So, but let me, let me ask you this. And I know you're not a cybersecurity expert. I'm not either. Study the history of emotions in the 19th <laughs> century literature. But I don't know if we can do this true or false. It's easier for hackers to, uh, say, attack a middleman, a bank, or somewhere. Like, so when we say yes, there yeah. have been hacks on, on Bitcoin or, or the blockchain, but it's much more difficult and far fewer su are successful. I think that's, I th I'm going to put like true with an asterisk, okay. right? The thing about hackers is they're remarkably creative people. Sure. Um, certainly the recent spate of hacks that we've seen right. with really high profiles right. is a testament to their creativity. Banks as centralized institutions right. have been around forever, and right. even their in internet presence has been around for a really long time. Right. I think while on the one hand it's much, much harder to totally cripple a distributed network right. in the way that it's much easier to cripple a centralized subject, sure. the proof is ultimately going to be in the pudding. Like We need to see these things actually take off yeah. at some scale before we can make a final verdict yeah. on what their security is. Yeah. I think they're safer. Yeah. Everything suggests they're safer. Sure. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anything else about cryptocurrencies that I, I should have asked about? Or no, that seems like a pretty that seems like a pretty good overview, and I'm sure some people's heads are already swimming from this stuff. Yeah, I, would I know. Say, I know. You know, if if we'll include, I think a couple of links to some resources potentially. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I would say dive in if you feel like experimenting with some ether or seeing what you can do about it. Right. It's not horribly expensive right. to at least buy a few tokens and get a sense and of see what you can do right what you can do on their network that's right as opposed to like i probably wouldn't go all in at this point right but yeah no and bitcoin i think is closed to most people who weren't there yeah. in 2013 yeah but and and i think too i remember reading like people who were there in 2009 2010 you know, who are now worth millions of dollars because they mined those coins back Absolutely. Then, you know? I think I should start my own cryptocurrency called <laughs> Pete Coin. It's just based on the Pete standard. I was thinking about right? The Harwick. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have to pronounce it in a weird way. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you so much. I don't think anyone's going to believe you're an English major after listening to this. Yeah, I probably not. I think you're not, some sort of computer security guy. <laughs> Clearly, they'll be like, I can't believe anyone gave this guy a degree about me. But um, I appreciate you coming in. I know this was a daunting ask when I was like, hey, what if we just walk through it? But I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, it makes much more sense for me to talk about it in this context than for me to babble about cryptocurrency yeah. to my cats like I've been doing for the past couple of weeks. Nice, exactly. <laughs> and are your cats all in on one or the other? Oh, my God. Flynn is totally down for Bitcoin. Yeah. He's a very populist cat, but Tyrion is way into Ether. Yeah. Savers of the proletariat. All right, Michael Harwick, <laughs> I appreciate your time today. No worries. Thank and you for having also me. Also appreciate all the hard work and all this research you've been doing for us all summer. Thanks. Good times. Something on the internet that makes me laugh. Okay, so I'm here now with Kelly Rudolph. 
and Kelly is an intern, and uh, I think we are we, we're taking to calling you Kelly the blogging intern. You're doing a lot of blogging <laughs> for us, right? Oh, I'm trying my best. Right. It's like if you were a knight of the round table, you would be Sir Blogs a lot. <laughs> so, I've never been called that before, but I'll take it. That's right. And who oversees your work, Wiener? Yeah. Yeah, how's working for Wiener going? I love it. He's awesome. He followed me on Twitter, so we already have that going for us. But he's just really cool and always really helpful. Who, who are you on Twitter? I'll follow you as well. Hmm? What, what's your Twitter tag? Oh, it's at Casey Rudolph 24. At Casey Rudolph 24. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you go to Ohio State? Mm-hmm. Okay. And tell me what you're studying. I'm studying neuroscience and journalism. Neuroscience and journalism. And I'm guessing those are in two different departments. Yeah, they don't over- overlap too much, but it's fine. So that's a really interesting combination. How did you land there? Um, I originally wasn't journalism and I was neuroscience and criminology because yeah. I wanted to go into the FBI, actually. Yeah. But then my mom definitely purposely tried to scare me out of it. It yeah. was like, oh, but like you could get shot and die like really young. And I was like, oh, mom, God, that's true. I don't want to do that. <laughs> come on, mom. <laughs> and so then I always really liked writing. So then I picked up journalism. And I'm not really sure how both of them will affect my life, but I like doing both. So it'll be cool. Okay. So neuroscience and journalism. Do you learn any neat tricks in neuroscience that, you know, help you get through your day? Um, the one excuse that I really like learned like I learned in the first day of class was our teacher said that like your brain actually runs on like uses up like 80% of the glucose that your body produces and ingests because yeah. it needs like that sugar to like yeah. function yeah so he's like so this is your one excuse to be able to eat donuts at the beginning of the day because uh, you, you can say that your brain needs the glucose to think and so I take that religiously that's good cause <laughs> my wife has been telling me to cut down on the sugar and I'll just be like I'm sorry my brain requires it <laughs> it's, so. the, it's like the most perfect excuse to eat unhealthy okay okay and so you have been working on our social media uh, mm-hmm. stuff and blogs for us and you like doing that right so far how long do we have you here for do you know um, I'm not sure. I was thinking about ending August 11th, but I know Renee and Matt just talked to me about staying on for the fall semester, but just maybe doing reduced hours and working working like school. Yeah, from so campus. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Okay. How did you approach your task of finding something on the internet to make me laugh? It was actually really hard. I got really nervous about it. So I literally just kept on searching like viral funny videos yeah. and then like I eventually stumbled upon one that my brother sent me and I thought it was really funny okay and then the other one was just like something a lot of people retweeted and like on Twitter so okay. I was like okay this must be good okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot you're gonna pick one or the other of those okay okay and uh I, have you listened to this segment on any of the other podcasts I listened to Ashley Nelson's oh Ashley yeah I knew her yeah so that was pretty good sure yeah uh when when the thing is not in fact funny, it, it gets real awkward. I know. I'm just letting you know. I advance. know. Okay, uh, but but not to worry. I, I feel confident that we're going to find something funny here. Okay. Okay. So let's come over to the computer and check it out. Okay. Okay. We'll do the animal one because I actually really like it. Okay. So animals have been popular. Okay. I'm going to just describe what we're looking at. Where are we here on the internet? Does this not look familiar to me? Um. This is just. It was originally posted on Twitter, but this is just where it lives. A, a website. Okay. We'll put a link to it here. It. Okay. Yeah. And we haven't started the video yet, but I'm seeing like a white cockatiel sitting on the edge of a chair at a table. So I think we're in a good place so far. Okay. And we are loading up. Volume's ready. The suspense is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> it's making it worth it. It's building up. All right. The cockatiel is, looks like it's opening a box and there's a cat in the box. That's hilarious. 
Now the cat just boobed the cockatiel, and he <laughs> closed the box. That was awesome. <laughs> yes. I heard a chuckle, so I assume oh my I did goodness. my job. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. <laughs> All right, so we definitely got a link to this. The cocktail opens the box on the table. There's a kitten. Does anybody think that's a kitten? Yeah, I think so. Or yeah. A young cat. And he reaches out and boops the cocktail, and he closes the box, right? That's, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's like when I'm trying to talk to my teenage daughter, and she just closes the door. Right. <laughs> so, okay, let's check out the other one. Okay. You're one for one so far, so no matter what, this is a success. Okay, it takes the, off. This is this the one your brother gave you? The, the bird one was the one that the brother sent me. Okay. And then this one is the one I found on the internet, which is hopefully, hopefully you like Star Wars. If not, it's ruined. Okay, so we're looking at Darth Maul, and he is in the lightsaber battle with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon. And is that Owen Wilson? Yeah, it's him saying wow instead of the lightsaber. Okay, so instead of the, every time the lightsaber's hit, we hear Owen Wilson going, wow. <laughs> that's pretty good and you know what i like about that is it was short because that gag would get it would get it would get tiresome after a while but yeah. pretty funny so replacing that that iconic lightsaber clashing sound with owen wilson saying wow <laughs> those are two fantastic finds I'm, I'm gonna be proud to put those in the show notes yes. all right so kelly rudolph thanks uh thanks for coming on the podcast yeah, taking up the challenge i really enjoyed it yeah all right good times Okay, once again, my thanks to Michael Harwick and Kelly Rudolph for being on today's show. Remember, folks, if you want to get a text message whenever we put out a new episode, just text the word MSDPOD, that's MSDPOD, all one word, to 555-888, and we'll get you on the list. All right, until next time, I'm Pete Brown. Good times, everybody. Brevel, take it home. This episode of the Mindset Digital Podcast was produced by Pete Brown and Jessica James and featured Michael Harwick and me, Brievel Schultz. If you like the show, please let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or reach out directly at podcast at mindsetdigital.com. To receive a text message every time we put out a new episode, text MSDPOD to 555-888 and we'll add you to the list. Some music in today's episode came from the website audionautics.com and is licensed under Creative Commons 3.0. Sound effects were sourced from freesound.org. Kevin Davison created our Make Me Laugh bumper. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, good times, everyone.